Are you an agent struggling to understand real estate economics? Would you benefit from learning how top agents structure their businesses? Then you've come to the right place. And welcome to the Nerdy Agent Podcast, where we teach you the basic economic and business principles you need to thrive in today's real estate market. I'm your host, Luke Pedersen, with my brothers and fellow nerds, Josh and AJ. What's going on? I almost just spilled coffee all over myself. That would have been a really, really bad start. The, the kids went to school yesterday. They did. They've started back at it. It's uh, I tell everyone, it's, it's the day of the year every year where I get excited about having a routine back because summer is just pure chaos. But it's also a little bit weird because your kids are growing up and it's another year. So you get a little bit bittersweet. I wake up on that morning every year and think, hmm, nothing's changed. <laughs> my life is still the same. Exactly the same. same. <laughs> Except that somehow, is it is it new hat day today? Because if anyone's watching, I remember, I think the first episode, we all like got kind of fancy dressed and did our hair. And now it's back to the usual. Except just for AJ. Like three advisory hats and t-shirts. I, I never do that. It's Normal 9 a.m. in the morning. I, I was hat. wearing, I was prepared yesterday. We had to reschedule. I was wearing my Justin Jefferson jersey t-shirt. And I wore a Minnesota shirt just... For the occasion, because, you know, the Vikings are playing on Sunday, and what's going on is lots of Kirk Cousins touchdowns, and what's not going on is anything good for Aaron Rodgers. I hear we might be 9-8 and eight this year. No, no, no. That'd be, a great, that'd be a great outcome Either way, as long as they beat the Packers <laughs> in the first game and producer Haley is upset about it, we will be uh, very, very pleased. Very pleased. <laughs> All right, that's lots enough of, of sports talk. This is not a fantasy dirt. football or NFL podcast. Let's get into the would you rather of the week, courtesy of our friend and fellow agent, Jordan Harvey. He asks, would you rather have a house that is painted hot pink on the exterior or throughout the entire interior? And for people so they know, you can never change these colors because it's in a historic district. This <laughs> interior and exterior. Yep, it's historic. a pretty historic house. Oh, uh, I have my answer. I don't know if you guys I, have thought about this. I've sold a hot pink house before, by the way. So it was hot pink on the exterior. Uh, so did Josh. Or so did Luke, I mean. You sold one, one too? 2848. We own one, I guess, that yeah. was on the exterior. But so, here, so my answer, and this is Emily gave me this one, my wife. Um, Emily said, it's kind of fun if the outside of your house is a funky color, because then when people are coming over, you just say, yeah, then you turn left, and it's just the pink one there on the right. Yep. And everybody knows how to find your house. Mm-hmm. So I would pick outside. Uh, the inside would be exhausting to constantly be staring at hot pink walls. So they had the same thing. Actually, I had people at an open house in this house that we sold that was hot pink. Because initially I was like, maybe we should paint this. And then people came to the open house and they're like, it's actually kind of fun on the outside. <laughs> I'm sure they'll probably end up painting it, whoever bought it. But uh, yeah, that's that would be my answer. As well. I also choose exterior. Completely different reasoning. It's, it's just because I don't have to live on the outside of the house. <laughs> I have to live inside the house that's... and look at the hot pink walls every single day. And I would not be able to handle that. That would be a lot. Also, like, who wants a house that's just one color? Yeah, it'd be bad. On the uh, inside. you got to have more than you'd one have, Yeah, I mean, on you'd, you'd have house. to get in, like, some, some like, just super yellow. Maroon. Maroon and yellow <laughs> on the inside. <laughs> if it's hot pink on the outside, you might as well. Just mix it up. Go Gophers. Uh, let's get into today's topics here. Um, today, we are going to talk about the affordability index um, and why online reviews are so important and how you can start getting them today. So, to start off, we're going to do the nerdy stuff. Explain the affordability index uh, to our, our viewers in the most basic way possible. Okay, so the affordability index is tracked in our local market. Mar tracks it every month, um, and it will tell you uh, 
how much the median income can afford of the median home at the prevailing interest rate. So three factors. Um, so median income is X. If you made that amount of money, how much of the median priced home in the market could you afford at the interest rate that we're at today? So I hope that's simple enough for everybody to understand. Broken down into monthly payments. Monthly payments? They look at it from a monthly standpoint. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. So if you made $1,000 a month and the you know the median home uh, was, would cost you uh, $400 a month at the prevailing interest rate, that's a 40% DTI, and they would say that would be like 100 on the index. So for those that don't understand indexes, it, it just adjusts from that indexed number up or down. So the higher the number on the index above 100, the more affordable homes are. Yes. The closer to 100 or under 100 potentially, um, the less affordable homes are. So I think the example in, I think it's 90,000 is our median area income. I think I saw this mm-hmm. post on Instagram today. So essentially that if the person making $90,000 can afford the median house in our area, they'd be the 100. Exactly, if they right can afford the exactly that number. Yep. That's the basis. And anything above, it's more affordable. Anything below, it's less affordable. That's exactly buyers. right. And, um, and, and a little bit of a, of a precursor, interest rates play a huge factor yeah. into this. And that's and so, why I mentioned the monthly component to this, right? Because the higher the interest rates are, the more your monthly payment is going to be affected by that additional interest, and the more that impacts and so And this number comes out every month? That's correct. And yeah. so during the month, this can fluctuate, obviously, because even like yesterday, we saw a half a point hike on conventional loans. Mm-hmm. And so they don't even have the affordability index for that until next month. Comes right. Out. So NAR, NAR does it, though. So the National Association of Realtors releases this nationally. And then every local market tends to have their own numbers within their market. So it's, um, I mean, in my opinion, you, you know, if you want to know why it matters to agents, yeah. uh, I mean, it's an incredible indicator of the health of the market. So. One thing we've heard time and again for the last three years as inflation in real estate has gone up so significantly is we're in a bubble and the pricing is going to come down, right? Because the appreciation acceleration of 10 to 12 to 15% a year feels unsustainable. This metric was really important during that time frame when talking to people because it helps you break down something that they don't understand of all the different inputs that are going into pricing of homes into one metric that you can track over time. So what's been interesting is going back, and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself here, I I talked about this a lot though with buyers and sellers, was if you go back three years, as the pricing was going up rapidly, the affordability index was not actually being hampered that much. And so it's something where you can actually talk to people and like, yeah, well, pricing is going up a lot, but because interest rates are creeping down, it's actually suggesting that affordability is still roughly the same as it was three to five to 10 years ago. So I think, and we talk a lot about with our agents as well as with our clients, um, how this isn't necessarily, the current real estate market isn't really comparable to really much, many real estate markets we've seen, right? Right. Usually prices are supply and demand based. From what I'm seeing, obviously supply is decreasing. Well, not decreasing, our inventory is going up. We're having less new listings every week. Petting sales are down. Um, but this might be an indication, this affordability index of something where if that gets to be a really low number where houses become uh, unaffordable for the median area income and our supply is still low and we're not having new listings where prices could slip a little bit mm-hmm. in that situation as that's what you're kind of talking about. It's just another way to take a look at the market. Yeah, I mean, the interest rates are, like I said, a very important input into this number. And when you see them just keep running up and you don't know necessarily where they're going to land at, yep. um, we mentioned, you know, maybe they're they're leveling off around 6%, but like you alluded to, Luke, they went up half a point yesterday. Um, national average right now is six and a quarter today mm-hmm. as it stands. Um, 
you know, and, and when you were looking at, I know people who got 25275 on 30 year fixed loans a year and a half ago. I mean, you, you can't say that that wasn't impacting their decision about what price they were willing to pay for the home because they've locked that rate in for 30 years. Right. So, yeah, if it go if it's you know, it goes 65, it goes 7, it goes wherever it goes, this affordability number gets worse and worse and worse, and people just decide that there's... That they can't afford those prices. Exactly. And at, uh, some, at some point, you're to the point, it's, it's an easier way for us to explain to buyers and sellers how all those inputs transpire into how is pricing going to work? How is pricing compared to previous timeframes? Because in the 90s when real when rates were 13% versus today, three years ago when they were 2.75 versus today when they're six, you know, is half a million the same? No, it's not. And so finding a way to actually explain how that corresponds, especially when you layer income in on top of it, is really important. And those numbers seem pretty drastic, but it's over a 30-year period. And so the affordability index is always a snapshot in time where it can really compare one to one. Apples, apples. Exactly. It's a fine way to so let's, let's get into, I mean, we've explained the affordability index, but I want to talk about like where it has been yep. and where it is now. So can you give us like a historical, like where are they usually last, I don't know, five, 10, three years, whatever that is? Yeah, I mean, it, it has been fairly affordable for people in Minnesota to uh, buy real estate, um, given, like we mentioned, the rates being good. Um, and and we actually had a pretty decent buyer's market leading up to the Great Recession. So it was around 140 to 150, which would mean that the median income could afford 140 to 150% of the median price. That was that was in the 2006, 2007 time. You Correct, know. earlier. Uh, but it's, it's, it's nationally tracked kind of around that for about the last two decades. Okay. Um, dropped a little bit, uh, you know, between uh, 2006, 2007, when, you know, everything kind of fell off the table and things got really bad. Uh, but then as the listing supply increased astronomically and yep. the prices went way down between 2008 and 2012, it actually rose up over 200%, 200. So, so really affordable. You could afford double the median priced home. Um, and it, it does take a while for uh, these interest rates to kind of filter through this whole thing. Um, but when, like Josh mentioned, prices during COVID are rising at 10 to 12%, I mean, nationally even higher in some regards mm-hmm. in 2021, but the interest rates started, kept creeping down and down and down and down. Um, those amortization schedules got to look really, really nice at much higher numbers than they ever did before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that index actually kind of stayed flat, like 140, um, I think I see here in July of 2020, it was 145. Um, but then you you know you look at where it's going. I mean, and I guess yeah. Tell us about where it is today. Like, what are we looking at right now? So it's um yeah. That's the one thing that I think is most interesting about this metric and why it has created a bit of a I would say hesitation in terms of the health of the market is as AJ mentioned, appreciation 10, 12 percent, affordability stays about flat, right for the last three years. It's been pretty consistent. Then interest rates spike and go through the roof in the last few months. Um, affordability index plummeted. So we went from 140, 150 down to now under 100 for the first time since I've even gone back tracking. I don't think it's ever been below 100. Wow. Um, in fact, it's pretty healthy. Like always you see it is about 120 typically. And so it dropped under 100 a few months ago in June and it was 99 this month. Um, so you're continuously seeing the impact of these interest rates and how they're affecting things because pricing has not just gone backwards as interest rates have risen at the same pace. Mm-hmm. It's kind of stagnated, mm-hmm. but it could suggest that we're in a, you know, from a leading indicator standpoint, if the interest rates are having this significant impact on affordability, pricing is going to have to come down at some point because people just can't afford what we're seeing out there in terms yeah, of the price. Or the interest rates are going to have to come down. One of the two. You're, you're essentially saying real estate is less affordable than it ever has been. That's 
seemingly that's about according to this index yes according to this index there's a lot of other inputs you could look at well i think the one important thing to talk about right now and a lot of i mean i think people are overselling right now is well what if the rates just go right back down can't you just refinance yes and we're having those conversations with people and it's it's true but what if they don't you have to still be able to afford what you have but i think that's giving some of the buyers that are sticking around in the market and some of the demand that's out there is just kind of you know somewhat wishfully banking on the fact that we're going to hit a recession, the Fed's going to lower the overnight rate, the mortgage rates are going to lock lock and step and they're going to come down as well. The bank, I mean, the one thing with the way that real estate works in our country is that the banks are pretty much always left holding the bag. Mm -hmm. So they have to fix the money for 30 years, but the borrower doesn't have to do that. Mm-hmm. So the borrower can just say, ah, six and a quarter, that's fine. And then if they go to 4% next year, they'll just be like, ah, oh, fine, I'll take 4%. Now the bank's left having to deal with that 4% for the next 30 years. Yep. So they just have their cooked in margin. The borrower gets to decide how to live their life, when to refinance, how to do things. And I think that's what is probably propping up some of what's going on right now. But if you go back and you listen to our very first episode about how interest rates work, um, you know, you can avoid the sound quality. We've worked on that. I know since our very first episode, we've <laughs> Thanks, done better Haley. on that. Shout out, Haley. But a lot of that conversation was around um, some of the indicators for mortgage rates were suggesting that the actual lenders themselves feel as though mortgage interest rates are likely to come down. It, but didn't the smartest man in the country last week basically come out and say, you guys are being really stupid and you're making this hard on us? We're going to make this a lot more difficult on the general public than you are assuming we're going to. He sent a lot of signals in different directions. So the point is... And so now they jumped. Yeah. And what we've said is, I usually tell people when I'm working with people, like, I feel like I have a pretty decent crystal ball sense of where things are going historically. Right now, that crystal ball is extremely murky, so I'm not going to give you anything with a high confidence level because everything that I've thought internally for the last six months, my hit rate is a lot lower than it's been historically. Mm-hmm. The market is just so out of, out of whack right now. Yeah. But this, afford, go back to the affordability index. The reason I like it is because this signal and this change that we've seen, the rapid pace at which you've seen this just fall off of a cliff and that number, it honestly has me really worried that pricing is at a level because of where interest rates have gone that is kind of unsustainable, at least in the short term. And so to AJ's point, buyers are slowing in terms of their ability to enter the market. And I think we've seen listing activity fall off a lot in our local market. Part of that is likely due to the fact that sellers are going, we've heard the market's not hot anymore. We might as well just stay put. Hmm. And that kind of, I mean, just not to get too much off topic, we'll get on the script of the week here in in a little bit. But um, I do think it's another important piece to touch on that a lot of real estate agents just say they try and talk about the market in terms of you should buy when it's good for buyers or you should sell when it's good for sellers. And just getting back to like, if you're timing and it makes sense for you in your life right now, that's typically the best way because otherwise you will just get inundated with all of this information. You'll just be stressed out the entire time. Your life's never going to be fun. If you think that now is a good time to buy a house and you can afford to buy a house, it still makes sense. And if your family's in a position where you need to, you and need to exactly make the right decision for you. You're not going to be able to time it, like yeah. you said, because it's murky. You just don't know. It could go up 10% again in the next 12 months. Yeah, but not, not. but not to pat ourselves on the back with this topic or what we're doing, but I do feel like it is important to call out that knowing this kind of stuff, especially right now when the market is suggesting that we might be in for a little bit of a slowdown is even more important because it's more important for you to deliver value to your clients when the market is not in necessarily a chaos mode. Let's talk, you said slowdown. I wanna touch more on what a slowdown means because I think different people would have different uh, thoughts on that. So talk more about slowdown. You can take that, Josh. All right. Um, Typically, when we talk about slowdown, we talk about 
you know, less pending sales. So we've okay. seen that number drop 20 plus percent. We got into the 30s last yeah, week, so I believe I saw it on Instagram. 35, I think, yeah. year over year. Ending August mm-hmm. 27th. Right, yep. so it's it's pretty significant in terms of slowdown, right? As real estate agents, you're paid when you sell houses. So if the number of houses sold is down by 35%, there's just less money being made by real estate agents, less clients out there shopping. We've seen inventory dropping though too. So if there's less out there to buy, you're not gonna have as many transactions happening. And we've seen buyers fall out of the market on the buyer side because interest rates have spiked to a level where there's just fewer buyers out there. So I kinda speak and slow down in more of a broad sense, not just one metric versus the others, but in all of those cases, there's just less transactions happening and less people out looking for future transactions. So you're essentially competing with the same number of real estate agents that have always existed, um, until maybe some of them don't succeed and fall off, but, you're competing with the same number of people, but there's just fewer people to support as you're competing. So being a better agent is more important when you're in a more competitive situation. Armor yourself with more knowledge. Yep. And that was one of the main reasons we started this podcast <sighs> just over one and a half months ago. Uh, <laughs> let's get into the script of the week. This week we're at happy hour actually, because after our fantasy draft on Friday, we went out to uh, West End at Punchbowl Social. Nice. So I thought, oh, maybe we're gonna be at happy hour this week for the podcast. Mm-hmm. You're at happy hour and everybody starts talking about housing because they normally do. Um, and then someone brings up, I had this question as well at a wedding. Someone came, brought up, how's the market right now for buyers? And I think that a lot of times agents have the same responses for buyers, especially in the last two years. It's been, well, it's really competitive, but interest rates are good. And now it's, well, there's not many houses, but interest rates are kind of bad as well. <laughs> okay. What I want to talk about. sucks for you. Yeah. But there are fewer people you're competing with. Yep. Blah, blah, blah. I want to talk about how you can talk about the affordability index to be different and sound like an agent that they have never heard before. Take it away. Yeah. So I would, I would start with just trying to help them understand what an index actually is. A lot of people don't know what that is. So saying something like, well, do you know how indexes work? And they'll probably say, yeah, or no, or kind of, or whatever. And you say, well, it's just pegging uh, 100 as a number and then working off of that number. So um, there's something that we have in our market called the affordability index. If it's at 100, it means the median most normal earner in our market can afford the median most normal home. 100, that's what that index is at. Typically, it's been around 140, 150. Mm-hmm. So f- they can afford 40 to 50% more than the median most normal house. So median normal person affords nicer than median normal house. Right now, we've seen it slip from 150 last year, maybe 140 last year, mm-hmm. I think. Year over year, it slipped from 137 to 140, something like that, to 99 in July. So. What that means is the median normal person now can only afford the median normal house. Well, in a market where they were affording a much nicer than median normal house, mm-hmm. um, they were very excited about their house search. They were locking their interest rate in super low and they were getting a nice house. Now, they're getting a less nice house at a high interest rate. So what we're seeing is that, um, like you mentioned, Luke, the supply is also down a little bit, which is holding things back a bit from actually prices super going backwards very, very, very quickly. Um, but this affordability index is indicating to us that homes are becoming a lot less affordable super, super fast. So for buyers, it's an important one to be watching right now. Yep. Yeah, I would say I, I typically, I, I, I use this, <laughs> I, use, I use this a lot with these I dropped, types I dropped of the mic. I dropped the mic oh, for you. Oh, thanks. Yeah, no. Um, 
I've said, going back the last three years, consistently, right? So yes, pricing has gone up rapidly. So as a buyer, it's been really intimidating to get into the market when you know prices are rising 10, 12% per year. And you're probably saying, I'm a little nervous about getting into that and feeling like maybe we're at a, in a bubble or at the top of a market. Um, but historically speaking, we have a measure called the affordability index, and that has historically been around 140, and it's stayed consistent throughout this pandemic as the prices have risen because of the reality of interest rates, right? I've used that line a lot over the last few years when talking to buyers about the health of the market. Recently, I've said that number has plummeted pretty rapidly because of the increase in rise in interest rates. So unless you're in a position where you feel like it's the right time for you to buy and it's the right time for your family to get out there buying a new home, it isn't necessarily a place where the affordability is in a really good spot, historically speaking. In fact, it's the lowest it's ever been. So be thoughtful about how you're approaching buying real estate right now, because we are seeing some signs suggesting that because of interest rate rises, you may not be locking into the best time to be buying real estate. I don't, and I, I say that saying in full transparency, I don't sell people on anything, right? My goal is to always give them the numbers, let them make their own decisions. And I tell a lot of real estate agents, sometimes you're better off telling people that things aren't great right now, because when things get better, they are gonna wanna work with you in the future. And they know when you're telling the truth or not. <laughs> yes. They know if they can trust you. People inherently understand if people are being honest with them and if they can trust them. Yep. And being the one they trust is the way to gain their business, especially in a slowdown market. Yep. If you guys liked those scripts, which I thought they were amazing this week, you can go back and look at our other podcasts. It's kind of around the 15 minute to 20 minute mark typically where the script lands. So you can just fast forward through all the other crap that we talk about that maybe isn't as fun. It's super funny though. <laughs> it's super funny the whole time. Uh, and intelligent. And intelligent. Sometimes. Nerdy. That's enough nerdy economics for the day though. Let's uh, talk about reviews um, and why, why you need to have them and how you can get more of them. Um, for those who don't know that are listening about online reviews, um, give us the kind of a rundown on reviews and what sites you can use the most. I mean, it seems Zillow, obvious. Zillow, yeah, I mean, Zillow comes to mind right away. Most eyeballs in the real estate market. Um, Google, obviously, we have a Google My Business for the team. Uh, Realtor.com, we've been curating reviews on lots of different platforms. Facebook as well as many, another many one. Facebook um, mm -hmm. has a great one for business pages, yes. I put them all on our own individual website as well, our team website. Yep. And I think the biggest one that people, I mean, we use probably Zillow the most, mm -hmm. I would say. I we have like um, The cool thing about Zillow is you can just go on to your profile. If you made a profile, you can go on there. You can find the Zillow link. You can just text it to somebody. They fill it out with the address and everything. It syncs to your Zillow, Zillow My profile, and you yep. can send it to people then and show them. Um, talk about how you, how do we get reviews? Kind of what does that process look like from people? I just text people and say, if you had a good experience, it would be really helpful for me to continue to build out my review profile. So if there's, if you could spend five minutes of your time just doing a quick review for me, I'd really appreciate it. Um, at the end of the day, what it does is it helps ensure that the people that are coming after you get a true understanding of what it was like to work with me. And you're sending this post-close. Post-close. I usually don't just like close a deal and send them a text right away or an email. I usually give it a week. Yeah. And I tend to follow up post-close with other things, which we can maybe talk about on another podcast, or like mm -hmm. post-close touch points and how you can keep in touch with people afterwards, make sure they had a great experience, not just until closing, but after closing. Um, but usually a week or two after, I'll just reach out, yeah. see how they're doing, see how they're moving in, and then maybe bring it up at that if point. If you do have like a thank you card that you send out, I usually send it a, like a couple days after I send the thank you card. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. a good, good rule of thumb. Yeah. Um, so I also want to talk about, because some people on here might also be getting reviews, right? I'm already yeah. getting reviews, Luke. Like, this is easy stuff. It's pretty basic. Um, what do I do now? And so 
I had on here, let's say you just get started or you already have reviews, you've gotten, let's say, 10 or more reviews in the last couple of months, you have a decent amount on there. How can how can an agent use those reviews to increase their reach and business growth? I mean, you can send that profile to people like you mentioned. I mean, if you have Zillow, it's a super simple one because it's got your picture on it. It has the number of sales you have in the last 12 months and it has the number of reviews you have and what your rating was. And they can also just click on their reviews like Amazon and it'll scroll down to the bottom of the page and it'll read out, like Josh mentioned, exactly what the experience was like working with this person. Great communication, super knowledgeable, you know, worked quickly, whatever that is. Um, it just gives you an instant amount of credibility with whoever you're working with, whether that be an online lead, someone from your sphere or whatever, they might not know, even if they're your good friend, they might not know how many sales you've actually been doing or they might not know that you have 10 five-star reviews. So it's super important that you get that out to them so they have a better understanding about your business and how like how high of a quality of agent that you actually are. Yeah, like the, I mean, if everyone thinks about this as the way that they shop for anything today or they find anything today, you go on these places, you're always looking at the reviews. If you're comparing and contrasting any product, any service, anything, the reviews matter a ton. So to me, this is like of the utmost important if you're not doing this and updating your Zillow profile and showing how many transactions you've done and putting all your deals in there and getting all your reviews, you're really selling yourself short because the first thing of, you know, friend, AJ refers Luke to me and Luke's gonna go, well, AJ, I appreciate it. I'll probably wanna work with this person. But the first thing Luke's gonna do is look me up. Google his name. Yep and see how I'm doing. And the first thing that's gonna come up is my Zillow profile. And the number of times that I've heard from referrals, well, I looked at your profile and these are all the things that I learned about you and they had this to say about you consistently throughout your reviews. It's huge, right, to have that. You have credibility. They know that you do good business and they know that you do a good job supporting people. Mm -hmm. I also wanna put in there too, you can post on your social media page. 2022 has been the year of social media for myself at least. And yeah, quick story. Um, Just take a snapshot of that review, post on social media as a story. story. Josh did great for me. Thank yeah, you so much. That's it. And then you also can now on Instagram, you can save stories kind of on your main area that I figured out last week. And so you can then save that story to your main page. Oh, so nice. people can go in there and click review and it can show every review you've ever posted, mm -hmm. which is kind of a nice little that's point great. there. Um, one little nugget that I also started doing the last couple months, mostly because of the team uh, challenge we had going in Q3, um, in order to get more reviews, which I think is helpful, and I think people, your clients tend to want to help you get more reviews, um, instead of sending a group chat to your couple client, you send a text message separately to both of them, increases your ability to get two reviews versus one. Brilliant. Um, and I know they want to help and get your reviews anyways, so I'm sure they'll be yeah. more than happy to do that. Um, just one little piece there, but outside of that, do you guys have anything else for reviews? I don't think so. I mean, like, like I said, it's it's just hugely important, right? The amount of credibility that our younger agents have by having 10 reviews and 20 transactions in their first couple of years, it, it suddenly makes them a sphere business right away. 100%. Well, that's all we have for this week. We'll see you next week on the Nerdy Agent Podcast.